Welcome to Inside the Media Minds. This is your host, Christine Blake. This show features in-depth interviews with tech reporters who share everything from their biggest pet peeves to their favorite stories. From our studio at W2 Communications, let's go Inside the Media Minds. Hey everybody, this is Christine Blake, the host of Inside the Media Minds, and I'm here today with Ian Thompson, U.S. News Editor at The Register. Hey Ian. Hello there, good morning. Good, thanks for joining us today. I'm excited to talk to you and to get to know you a little bit better. Okay, no, happy to. Um, this kind of communication is always very good between journalists and PRs. I think it, it would clear up an awful lot of, of misconceptions if we did this more often. Perfect. I love it. Well, let's get into it. So I know we were just talking a little bit beforehand about we're just wrapping up the first virtual Black Hat Week, which is just crazy. What are your What's your take on that? Would you be coming back from Vegas by now? Uh, no, no. I Generally, I, st- <laughs> I stay on defcon and get the first flight back on sunday morning usually with a colossal hangover um <laughs> but um but def, i mean defcon for me is the prime uh conference for that week then black hat and then b-sides um but yes it's the first time i haven't been to vegas for this in ooh about six years and the first time i've missed a not been to a physical black hat since mm-hmm. 2006 wow so it's been a bit of a shocker um 14 years of it I know. Well, this, that includes the European ones because I only came out to the US in, in 08. But mm-hmm. um, it's been interesting. I mean, on one level, it's better in that you're not spending time rushing from venue to venue, trying to find a good seat, taking photos, trying mm-hmm. above all to find a PowerPoint so you can recharge your laptop. Um, having the, all those things online, uh, you can just sit in your kitchen and press click is is great. So from a presentation perspective, it, it's worked very well. But the big thing you're missing is LobbyCon, um, mm-hmm. meeting up with people, you know, catching up with old friends, making new ones, um, getting rascally drunk together on occasion. And, you know, it's um, it, it really I really have felt the lack on that. Um, yeah. Also, to be honest, the, the presentations this year haven't been up to the usual quality. I mean, there's a mm-hmm. lot of research that's been published that was originally published as early as January. And they're doing presentations about it mm-hmm. now which which is a bit lacking sure yeah no that's definitely different um we'll see what happens hopefully we're back in person next year <laughs> hopefully yeah i mean I, I don't know i think we're we're for the reg we're probably going to be working from home mm-hmm. until at least the end of the year i don't know what it's like from your perspective yeah. Are you yeah same yeah definitely so let's go back a little bit. So you have been on this beat for a long time covering technology. You used to be with even um, PC Magazine back in the day. You've been with the Register for a while. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, in fact, I wrote my, I was preparing for this. I, I checked out my first ever technology article was in 1991, writing about this thing called multimedia, where <laughs> you'd be able to put words and pictures and sounds and eventually video in a one document and display it. It was going to be the biggest thing ever. You know, it's uh, so yes, That's I'm, amazing. I'm a bit of an old fart, but it's... <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, the industry's changed an awful lot. The... Um, <clears throat> The way of uh, the way of the web is. I mean, I do miss the days of print media. I mean, back when I was on PC Mag at the turn of the century, if you made a mistake, it was locked into print forever, and you would never be able to forget it. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, but I mean, with internet, you you can change mistakes, but also the the workload has shifted up a, a up a level. Mm-hmm. Um, and in many ways, the old style of PR has had a, a really lag effect, if you like, on on addressing this. It's a lot better now than it was, but you know, around about. I was still getting paper press releases until 
ooh, probably about the mid twenty, the, the mid noughties. Um, wow. wow. Yeah, it was. Um, it, it was. It was really quite bizarre. But uh, yeah, <laughs> we're all online now, so this is the Absolutely. future. So, how long have you been with the register for now? Uh, I joined in two thousand and eleven. Okay. So yes, I mean, some yeah, I'm coming. Oh, good grief! Yeah, coming <laughs> up to nine years in September. So um, yes, it's. Um, it, it, I do love the reg. I mean, it's. I've always. It was one of those things you always read in the UK. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, I was. I was editing another title, and they offered me the chance to become a reporter again. So it was like, yeah, I grab that one with both hands because reporters have all the fun. You know, they mm-hmm. get to write the stuff. They get in at the sharp end. Editors just edit other people's copy by and large which is and deal with management both of which Mm -hmm. are considerably less fun but Mm -hmm. you know I still get to write some stuff so that's fair enough. Excellent so what is it like so you're based in um, the Bay Area so and you're writing for or you're editing for a UK based publication what is that like dynamic wise? Um, A lot of spelling problems um, (laughs) because we've (laughs) <laughs> this is it. I mean, we had a, a US. We've had a US office since '99, um, and an Australian office since about ten years ago. But we we decided fairly early on that we were going to use localized spelling in each region. So that's been an issue: learning how to spell aluminium in the American style and mm-hmm. taking all the U's out of everything. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, I mean, the American journalism industry is very different from the UK journalism industry. Although the PR approaches are actually quite similar in some regards um certainly in the u in the uk journalists from rival publications share information an awful lot more okay. that doesn't seem to happen over here um because they're seen that people are journalists are seen as being in competition with each other rather than in competition against the person who's trying to lie to you um which is generally sort of large tech firms who really have no problem with that um i think journalists over here tend to work longer hours um mm-hmm. They also are very weird about uh, things like, I mean, uh, accepting, you know, a freebie or something. If somebody gives you a T-shirt over here, it's, oh, I can't take that. I should be biased. Ah. And yet when I, they're also more supine, which seems weird because the argument is, you know, you can't take freebies because that makes you biased. But then until I'd come over here, I'd never heard a journalist open a press conference question with, that was a great presentation. Thank you very much. And it was just like, instant death if you do that in the uk hmm. it's just everyone's gonna be like wow what who got to him you know hmm. it's or her um so that i find the american press a lot more deferential hmm. um a lot less willing to ask awkward questions and there's a lot more access journalism over here that was a bit of a shocker okay um i have heard of, of, of journalists giving uh, copy approval before an interview which is an instant firing offense in the uk you never oh. ever do that that's interesting, actually. Yeah, it's it's cool to kind of explore the different uh, approaches in each region. I know we work with some global companies in the UK and, and the US, and we kind of see some of those things, but it's really interesting from your perspective to hear some of those differences and um, some of those challenges even. Yeah, I mean, it was, it does say it was a bit of, I mean, there are great journalists over here. Uh, I mean, particularly in the infosec fields, mm-hmm. um, you know, Kim Zetter's fantastic. Zach Whitaker does some great stuff. Joe Cox is, you know, uh, is very good. And I shouldn't really be bigging these people up considering they're competitors, but why not call it as it is? They yeah. are very good journalists. Yeah, they're fantastic. Um, unfortunately, there's also a lot of people who are basically stenographers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that harms the credibility of, 
of journalism and also I think it harms the credibility of companies who are featured in publications like that but mm -hmm. that's very much a personal view yeah so on that what is um what makes a story in the register what is you know your approach for your audience what makes the register different um well I think it's <sighs> my editor has a lovely line on this it's just like he constantly gets asked how do we get into the register and mm. his answer is that's easy screw up and we'll be there for you you know it's <laughs> um I mean we're we're not uh we don't do things like case studies or you know product releases by and large except mm -hmm. those that we can't ignore it's more about practical stuff and it's more about keeping people honest so for example you know it's uh we broke the story about the um the specter floor from intel mm -hmm. for which they've still not forgiven us um and we don't tend to hold back if we think something's very bad um this has led to some of the unfortunate situation where we've been blacklisted by apple for over a decade now uh, oh wow I yeah that. yeah which actually is a kind of a badge of honor in a way but <laughs> in some ways yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it's it doesn't make us popular but it, it's kind of what the reader demands i mean the old tagline that we used to have was biting the hand that feeds it um because we were basically we were set up our job was when the reg was set up in well originally 94 as a newsletter and then 97 as a website um the press at that time was remarkably deferential and boring I mean, you would get headlines like Dell releases three new PCs and it's mm -hmm. nobody wanted to read that. So right. it's like, well, why not look at the underbelly? Why not see, you know, do what journalism is supposed to do, which is check out what people don't want to be printed. Mm -hmm. um, we kept also a very tabloid style. Um, so we're looking for stories that, that have a sort of uh, some you need a, a headlines are really really important in our industry and particularly for the reg because we've built a reputation around them so i mean if you're looking to get into the reg you need good issue stories uh you need uh flaws that will always if they're particularly bad flaws though those mm -hmm. will usually get in um but so and so releases best ever networking switch tool probably not gonna not, get, not yeah. gonna get a view <laughs> That makes sense. And then who, when you're, uh, you know, looking at your intended audience, who would you say is within that? Um, okay. We are certainly based on our audience stats, but in terms of who we write for, we're looking at IT admins, some junior management, senior management will read us, but they tend to turn off immediately once they, everyone loves a reg headline as long as it's not about them. Yeah. And that does tell, <laughs> I do tend to get a lot of that from senior managers just like, well, I mean, usually I, I enjoyed the site, but then when you did it to us, it was just like, well, you know, so, you know horses for courses. Um, <laughs> but generally we're for people at the shovel end of IT. Um, mm -hmm. You know, people who have to deal with endless, you know, deal with keeping networks up and running, people who need to know about the latest flaws, the latest, the latest problems, also the latest good things. Um, we're not totally negative. Mm -hmm. No, that's good. That's a good answer, definitely. And then, since you've been writing and you know covering this space for a long time, what topics do you find yourself most interested in? Ooh, well, you see, I've been a security geek for a long, long time. So, I mean, mm -hmm. interesting and novel security things are, are also are always interesting. Not just as I say with flaws, but also in. There's been a lot of really good work over the last five to ten years to really get take security seriously it's not just a question of patching once a month and, and you're fine people particularly in, in network operators and network designers are now taking a much more serious role in how they can head off problems before they come in mm -hmm. um there was a, a real 
Okay, in, around about the turn of the century, the idea was you build a strong wall around your company and you monitor mm -hmm. the endpoint of exit. And then everyone realized that didn't work. So then it was, oh, the people like the Jericho Project came up with, well, you're going to get hacked at some point, so you need to work out how to secure your data, which was, you know, a good way of going about it. But it's... Um, it's a constant struggle. It's what evolutionary scientists call the Red Queen struggle. You know, one, mm. one side moves faster, so the other side moves faster, and you're constantly evolving and, and threats are uh, changing. So uh, I find security endlessly fascinating mm -hmm. in, in that thing. And they also allow me to write the occasional space science story because I'm a huge space geek. I saw so. that. I was looking at your, uh, your bio, and you mentioned that you're really interested in space. Oh, yes. And it's fascinating times at the moment. Um, SpaceX yeah, is, that's, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, for, for all Elon Musk's faults, and they are many, SpaceX really has revolutionized the industry. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, I was sitting there frantically hitting refresh for the latest uh, mm -hmm. Starbuck, uh, Starship test uh, earlier on. Mm -hmm. So have you always been interested in tech and security and space? Or you know, how did you find yourself in this role, in this career? Um, well, I got very lucky. Um, my mum in particular was very keen that me and my sister found jobs that we enjoyed. So she would farm us out to friends um, so that we could spend a day working at their offices uh, as, as kids and also helped because she was a single mother and it was excellent daycare. Um, and after going around sort of various places, she set me up with a friend of hers from university who was a local newspaper reporter. And I was just hooked instantly. I mean, this, I was 11 and this was just the best thing ever you get to ask people questions sometimes mm -hmm. quite pushy ones explain <laughs> what they said and people wrote it read it and got informed by that and came back to you and it was just like that was it i knew That's i wanted it. to be a journalist and then as for the tech side i went to university in 1987 and got online for the first time and that was just a whole new world because you could talk directly to anyone in the world you know i could play multi-user dungeon games with mm -hmm people in South Africa and Seattle and Washington and it was uh, Washington DC and it was just like this is the future and um, so I started I got my first journalism job as, a, as an editorial assistant on a oh, the late and little lamented capital account magazine the official society magazine for the London Society of Chartered Accountants wow um, <laughs> that rolled yeah. right off your tongue <laughs> I, I know well I've still got it I've still got a t-shirt with it's on it's getting a bit raggedy at the moment perfect but, you know, you start where you can, but then I was the only person at the company who knew what a computer was and how to operate mm -hmm. once, so um, outside the design team. And uh, so, yeah, I got into it that way, and then I did a three-year stint in technology PR mm. um, with, amongst others, Text 100, and, um, and then went back to journalism after just deciding it really wasn't for me. And after learning that you really can't punch clients. Uh, not that I did, but the temptation, <laughs> I mean, you know, must know what it's like. We had a saying in the agency days, this job would be perfect if it wasn't for clients and journalists. You know? <laughs> then you wouldn't really, you just kind of sit around, you know? Yeah, That's yeah, it. I know. Maybe write was... a press release or two. <laughs> true, true. I mean, I, the salary was great. The company car was great, but ultimately I'm a journalist and I wanted mm -hmm. to go back to it. So I freelanced for a while and then joined PC Advisor, then PC Mag, and then went online in 2003 when PC Mag in the UK shut down. Um, and yes, I've been online ever since. Um, the workload is is insane at times. Um, I mean, when I was on PC Mag, we had to do one. I had to do one ten thousand word feature a month. Um, ten thousand words. Wow. But I could freelance out sections of that as well. Hmm. Whereas my, I mean, okay, last year's DefCon. 
uh, sorry, last year's Black Hat on the opening day, I did five stories mm -hmm. um, and finished on the second day, was still writing at 4.30 in the morning because Caesar's Palace had decided to be very stupid and throw a Google engineer out of his suite over a single tweet. So um, mm -hmm. it never stops. Yeah. But I kind of like the buzz as well. So, you know, it's there's nothing really quite like the adrenaline kick you get when you're trying to hammer out that last article and get it out. Oh yeah, absolutely. Especially like with the news cycle being 24 seven and yeah. um, social media and Twitter and just everything. So oh, I know. But it's interesting what some PR tactics have held over and completely in, in ignoring the digital side of things. For example, mm -hmm. I mean, Facebook is notorious for this because they continually put out bad news at 5 p.m. on a Friday. Mm -hmm. Now, that worked in the days of print deadlines because no one reads the Saturday. You know, it's the old take it out in the trash thing, which the West Wing very, very nicely skewered. But it doesn't work in online. When you do that, every single journalist who reads that is, is just instantly annoyed with you. And it's yeah. like, right, there's my weekend, you know, completely I'm not going to swear, but yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, we uh, we did a, a podcast a while ago about the uh, Jedi contract mm -hmm. um, with the government, and they would call it Jedi Friday because it was always on Friday, and like the journalists would have to be up, you know, writing Friday night, and it's just like, come on. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, when the Cambridge Analytica thing dropped from Facebook, mm -hmm. I just got a message on the in inbox at 5 p.m., and it's like, okay, they're obviously trying to hide something. Great. You know, I was <laughs> going to go, I was going to go out with my mates on Saturday, but that's now out the window. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. It's never a dull moment. <laughs> oh, indeed. But I mean, the, you're right. The 24 seven thing is, it's frustrating, but I think journalism has to adapt. Um, we've, we're lucky in that we have offices in all the major time zones now so mm -hmm. we can we can do that sort of rolling service i have to say from your perspective it's got to be an absolute nightmare because mm -hmm. um, i mean getting for, getting emails uh, lord knows when and if you're expected to answer them it's um in the case of caesar's last year i fired off an email at uh, half past midnight to to the pr and they came back to me at 2 30 in the mm -hmm. morning I was a massively impressed and b feeling rather guilty because you know <laughs> you know that person is cursing you while they're writing it, so you know which is fair and to be expected. <laughs> Always got to be connected, regardless. Oh, I know. Do you remember you're a parents' generation where they're just okay? I'm out of the office. I don't have a mobile phone, and no one's got my imagine. home phone number. I know. I couldn't I know. imagine. Crazy. Ah, uh, different times. <laughs> And then a hot topic is obviously in, you know, in today's world and this environment, how we're all working from home with the COVID-19 pandemic, how are you seeing that impact what you're covering, how you guys are operating technology journalism in general? Yeah, it's, it's been a massive shift and we're nowhere near, near the end of it uh, mm -hmm. yet. I mean, we're going to be working from home until at least the end of the year and we'll review the situation then. Um, it's meant, I think, and talking to other journalists about this as well, it's generally meant longer working hours. We mm -hmm. we tend to be working longer. Um, I would new, usually hold a news meeting at say nine thirty after spending an hour commuting into the office and then half an hour just sorting through the emails. Now I'm online at eight. We hold the news meeting at nine and we try and get things wrapped up slightly earlier, but it doesn't always work. Um, it's very disorientating at first, and mm -hmm. I think you've got to keep a close eye on staff to make sure people are dealing with it well. We had some problems initially, um, so you've got to make a bit of an effort. Um, I started dressing up for video conferencing meetings just to try and you know, bring a smile mm -hmm. to people's face. And still rather quite proud of my girl, my girl with a pearl earring costume, but um, 
Um, but yeah, the, um, it's, it's tricky. It's very isolating. And I think it's one of the things I found very early on is you need to be doing a lot more calls. You need to be speaking to people a lot more and don't rely on instant messenger. Um, by all, I mean, obviously never call someone cold, mm -hmm. but you know, if you're having a conversation, just say, do you want to do this by phone? That way we're not typing out the whole time. And I found generally people are a lot more willing to talk simply because you've isolated that much more. Yeah. The urge is to talk more. Um, unfortunately it hasn't yet translated into people being slightly less relaxed about what they say and saying yeah. let's slip out but that's an end, a constant struggle which never goes but honestly i've i'm finding it tough i used to give people working from home days as a bonus if they could mm -hmm. have got a particularly good story that week because it saved on the commute cost and they get an extra hour in bed in the morning and the rest of it but right now i would give my left arm just to go into an office and mm -hmm. chew the fat with the crew mm -hmm. uh, and I think also into into you know instant messenger is okay, um, but it, it does help to get together and talk uh, via video. The key thing is not to is not to overdo it because I think, and I think there's studies to back this up. It's certainly my experience that people find video conferencing visually and or using visual and audio very much more tiring um, mm. because you've got to concentrate on so many different things. So I think it's important that you don't overdo the video. Sure. Um, but um, yeah, we we have to communicate more because otherwise we're just going to be locked in our little offices doing nothing. Very true. I think with video, I mean, I've never seen more people on video in my entire career than the past couple of months. And I'm getting used to it, but you're right. There is a level of fatigue that comes along with it. Um, so I think it's all about that balance, doing some video, some audio, but trying to find that middle ground. Yes, definitely. I mean, it's, um, I don't know if you've tried the, uh, uh, my family is sort of spread over a fair chunk of the world, most of them back in the UK, but also in Utah and and Dallas and various other areas. So we tried organizing a family video conference. And after a while, everyone was just like, look, can we just do this once a month rather mm -hmm. than once a week? Because it's really tiring. Mm -hmm. And I think this is reflected in business. But yes, were it ethical for me to invest in tech, in tech stock, I would have invested in Zoom a long time ago. <laughs> exactly. Very true. Um, and then you mentioned... Uh, you know, getting pitches from PR people and like you're, you know, reviewing emails in the mornings and stuff like that. How many pitches do you get a day typically? And then what um, sets them apart from others? Yeah. Um, well, I did some research on this for a presentation last year and I'm averaging about 187 emails a day, um, of which about 35, 40 are pitches. Mm -hmm. um, and... There are a couple of things which instantly go into the inbox. Anyone who's who's offering a sponsored article or a guest post, uh, that goes straight straight into in, into the uh, into the delete file. And I don't really. It's not PRs actually have pulled back from this. I did used to get a lot of those in the last couple of years. Um, guest guest posts. Yes, guest posts. Oh, okay. and, yeah. You know, it's 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 never going to fly because mm -hmm. you know our readers expect independent editorial, and we've right. got to give them that. Um, this year, the curse is, uh, so as I say, this year, the curse is the, is, is the guest post. One of the things I do find, and this is something I talk to other journalists about, is, is bizarre, is this, um, if you're covering this story, here is some pre-prepared comment. Mm -hmm. And I can kind of, because inevitably they arrive two or three days after the story has been written. 
Uh, and I can understand why, because you've got to go through to the client, get them to sign it off, and they usually want to completely mangle it to make themselves look good. And then, you know, the PR professional says, no, okay, that sounds stupid. This makes you look vainglorious. Mm -hmm. Let's go with this. So by the time you've got it, then you know, it's, it's the, the story is two or three days old and we can't, you know, we, we couldn't use it. Um, so, I mean, I'm just trying to think. Yeah, I think the last time I used one of those was about two years ago and I was really mm -hmm. desperate. What's really annoying is when you break a story and then get, I don't know if you're writing about this, but it's mm -hmm. like, I broke it. I just did, <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, otherwise, uh, case studies go straight to uh, get, get deleted immediately because, you know, it's here's our handpicked client who's going to say nice things about us. Mm -hmm. um, so the good pitches, the ones that get in, first off, an element of personalization to the email. Um, I was lucky enough to be doing PR when originally we were still sending out press releases by hand in 94. So you had to very carefully pick which journals you were going to send releases to because you were paying for the postage. Mm. Then email came in and these databases came in. And yeah, I always update my, deta my details on the databases, but you just get stuff spammed out, um, which is an instant turnoff. So to get, to get, I think, any journalist's attention, you've got to have a decent header. That is because we don't read a lot of these emails you can tell what's in the email from the header so you've got to make the header ideally personalized um, but at least interesting or something mm -hmm. which will grab the eye um, as i say certain stories you know, case studies executive appointments the best small 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 and medium-sized business printer market you know it's mm -hmm. just like those those kind of things get dumped but make it personal and just as with journalism, we concentrate on headlines as from a PR professional's perspective, got to get that headline right because it's generally the one chance you've got to catch people's eye. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great um, advice. But yeah, I mean, the problem is, as I say, it's spam. There are in the Bay Area, seven public relations people for every one journalist. Mm -hmm. um, and I do often get asked, well, why didn't you reply to my email? And it's like, well, if I did that, allowing two minutes to reply to each email, I'd have about three days, three hours a day to work. So it's not really, you know, an not going to work. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> mm -mm. But yeah, it's all about the head. Mm -hmm. So uh, grab the eye and the attention that way. Mm hmm. And then when it comes to the cybersecurity vendors, I mean, it's such a crowded space. You know, if, if we were at Black Hat in person, we'd be walking around those expo halls, seeing all the different booths and, and vendors. <laughs> so what do you think it takes for them to set themselves apart in the space? Um, the, the standard response is you've got to have a unique selling point. Mm -hmm. um, but the problem is there aren't that many unique selling points in the, in the security industry. Um, so if you've got, um, I think the best way to do it is to rely on, on the, for, for cybersecurity uh, companies to rely on their staff to generate interesting stories. For example, uh, one of Verizon's security team, uh, found a story, a fascinating story about a guy who they've been called in to check because somebody's two-factor authentication was signing in from China. Uh, and they found that one of the company's star programmers, uh, this wasn't Verizon, this is the company they were consulting to, one of their star programmers who'd been awarded Programmer of the Year multiple times had outsourced his job to China. Basically, he would come in in the morning, send his work to China, to two different coders, spend all day on Reddit, uh, <laughs> and then accept the copy back in at four, give it a quick edit, file it, end of the job done end of day now we found i found this on a verizon blog post um, and it was just like this is a killer story 
and yeah, it went mega. We got a million hits, the rest mm-hmm. of it. But I think from a PR perspective, you need to be talking to the people at the shovel end to find these interesting stories rather than relying on management to say, I'm um, obviously there's going to be a certain amount of management saying, right, we want our message to be this. We want our message to be that. But if you're looking to get the kind of stuff, I mean, the kind of stories which we find really grab the reader's interest are hands-on cases where things have either gone very wrong or very right. Sure. So, I mean, I would say if you're a cybersecurity company, speak to your staff at the shovel end, find out what they're doing, what they're seeing, and use that to shape the message. A top-down management message is generally pretty boring Mm -hmm. because management is very good at certain things, but finding interesting stories is not one of them. And I think that's where the PR industry can be, uh, as advisors, can be really, really important because you are professionals at finding you know, finding stories which are interesting and you can spot that in the way mm-hmm. that somebody who's in the company or in management maybe won't, may not be able to do. That's great. I love that. I think, you know, being able to see through some of the marketing jargon and say, you know, that's not a story, that's a fine message for your marketing team. But when it comes to telling a story, it's not going to cut it. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the key phrase we, we look out for is the world's leading because, you know, <laughs> instantly it's, it's just rubbish. You know, it's in fact that there's a sadly now longer no longer done british journalist blog uh, which we all contributed to called the world's leading and it oh was really just, that's uh, great yeah it's it was examples of, of really really dodgy practice um but um or not dodgy practice but just dull practice mm-hmm. but i mean yes avoid the buzzwords by all means i mean and also the one one thing which will instantly get a cybersecurity uh, press release binned and the person regarded with a very odd eye ever since is if they describe anything as 100% secure. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the absolute no, no, there is no such thing. You know, it's, it's just, it, it's, it's when you get this, oh, these over the top claims, be honest, be you know, practical. Uh, and I know that may not be what management needs to hear, you know, wants to hear. And mm-hmm. it puts you in a very difficult position from an agency perspective, um, because obviously you want to get on with the client. But I think from a, as a PR professional, they are hiring you to say, look, it, it's kind of the, the best, the best way my old, my old boss at text described it thusly. It's, if you've got it, it, it's like trying to get a toddler to change their behavior. You don't say, listen, Jimmy, you're, that's a stupid idea and you're really dumb. You're like, well, Jimmy, that's an interesting idea. And I really like this element of it, but maybe if we just tweaked it slightly mm-hmm. this way, you know, it's, um, I do get, I, I did have a bit of a row with someone a couple of years back and they're like, well, look, we're an agency. We can't, say no to them and it's just like that's mm. what they're paying you for yeah you've got to say it diplomatically and yeah, that can true. be a very hard thing yeah you say yes good idea and we can do it by making these changes to it <laughs> yes yes exactly and you're going to find some prima donnas who are just like no i wrote this and it's perfect in every way and it's just like yeah mm. but this is what you're paying us for you know yeah. you you are not a, you do not know the market you don't know journalists and i think this is where some smaller agencies, it's less of a problem with the large ones, but you've got to be able to say to a client, look, maybe if you did it this way, you'd get more of a response or can mm-hmm. you just try it this way? And occasionally you're going to get knocked back and they do pay the bills, but it just, I, I do get slightly perturbed when I, I find people say, well, you know, when I talk to people, say, why did you pitch it that way? And he goes, well, the, you know, the CEO wanted it mm-hmm. and they've insisted we have the world's leading in every marketing material we do. And you're just like, you're making a rod for your own back on that one. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. No, definitely. That's definitely some good insight coming from you who has both PR and journalism experience. <laughs> yes, I know. I still feel, still feel guilty about hate helping to launch ActiveX in the UK, but it's just, you know, the things you do. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we do have time for one listener question here. And it's, mm -hmm. um, what is one of your most memorable stories that you've written? I'm sure there's Ooh. been a lot, but it's tough to pick. But if you ha could think of one. Oh, most memorable story. I thought you were going to say memorable story full stop, which could have led me into various obscenity charges. <laughs> um, the most memorable story I've written, in fact, was one of the, one of the least successful, but one of the ones I'm proudest of. Um, I came across a guy on uh, Reddit who was doing an IMA, and he was an IT consultant who'd been held for, four, for 18 months in Basra by um, rebels. He'd gone out there to work for a charity IT scheme. And I sat down and talked with him for about four hours um, and wrote a two-pager on it and was just blown away by this guy. You know, he'd spent over a year chained to a radiator, um, being sur you know, surrounded by armed gunmen, not seeing another human being who wasn't holding him hostage or carrying a gun. Um, and he'd used that time uh, mentally to design a computer, uh, design a new computer chip uh, to, he'd come up with something very similar with the to the iPhone and he was rather peeved when he got out and you find Steve Jobs had got there first. <laughs> oh, um, so, and then, you know, it was just, it was a fascinating tale. I was very proud and I was, it's the kind of thing that I think journalism should do, which is getting those stories out there that don't get heard. Mm -hmm. um, and we published it and it, sank without with barely barely a, a trace so i mean that was personally the one i was proudest of mm -hmm. i think in in recent reg history the specter meltdown floor from intel was um was probably the one that that sticks most in the mind and this was a a, a classic example of how not to do pr as well um because there were various clues around that people were starting to put together but that, a couple of guys i was unfortunately on holiday at the time but a couple of our a couple of our people put two and two together, made four, realized that there was a massive flaw with Intel chips. Um, so we published the story and this was where Intel screwed up um, because they immediately called other journalists in the industry and said, it's the register, you can't trust them. This is totally false. We can prove this, um, so don't report on it. So we got a lot of people, fellow journalists coming to us and saying, look, they're telling you you're wrong. Are you absolutely sure about this? We were. Um, and then two days later, the final proof came out and Intel were forced to recant and they lost a lot of credibility mm -hmm. amongst other journalists for that because you can, you don't, uh, the golden rule I think with, with public relations is that by all means, you know, disassemble, subvert, divert, but you never actually lie. Mm -hmm. That's the key thing to it. Right. And this is what I think, particularly on the US side of things, I think this has been forgotten. I'm, not mentioning any names, <laughs> Facebook. Um, but there are companies, uh, and thankfully very few agencies, who will outright lie to your face. And when that happens, that person and that company will never be totally trusted again. Mm -hmm. And that person particularly will not be trusted. Um, we've had similar problems um, with, um, well, okay, there was a, <sighs> this wasn't to me, this is to Olivia Solon, who's now at NBC, but this is an absolute classic. Um, she wrote a story about a big technology company being involved in the Holocaust um, in, in Germany in the early 1930s. And um, their PR phoned up in a rage. 
And it's like, well, first off, you know, we pulled out before, you know, in 1937. And I don't think anyone realized how bad the Nazis were before then. And so, really? Crystal Act, Nationalities Act, you know, four years before. And then said, and by the way, you described our, our involvement with the, with the regime as shameful. I think disappointing is a much better word. Oh, gosh. Never tell journalists what, what to write. You know, it's, um, <laughs> so, I mean, the key thing, I think, in all these things is be honest, be safe. Mm -hmm. And yeah. no matter how how much management is saying, just just nail them, nail them. It's just you have reputation. Reputations on both, you know, journalism and PR is mm -hmm. is largely a work of reputation. And once you lose that, it's very difficult to get it back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely, definitely, great insight there. All right, Ian. Well, this has been an awesome conversation. It's fascinating it talking to you. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to share or, or talk about? Anything um, on just, your end? I'm just hoping people stay sane. I've just, mm -hmm. I've, I've, I've been talking to a lot of people I've been trying to get and I've noticed I think the longer home working has gone on um, more people are showing more obvious problems with it so I would say if there's any message for the next six months to a year until we get this thing sorted out hopefully touch wood um, it's look after each other look after your friends look after your your opposition as well just speak to people make sure people are mm -hmm. okay because I think a lot of people are suffering in silence yeah and I think we're only going to get through this if we all pull together Absolutely. I could not agree more. So definitely hang in there, everybody. <laughs> and, uh, we'll continue on getting and also together. you can wear pajama bottoms while working, which is great. You Absolutely. <laughs> you can't beat that. It's all about finding those little positives in every single day. Exactly. Completely exactly. Agree with you. Well, thanks so much, Ian. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for sharing a lot of your insight with our audience and uh, really appreciate your time. Not a problem. Thank you for having me. Great. This has been Christine Blake with Inside the Media Minds. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Inside the Media Minds. To learn more about our podcast and hear all of our episodes, please visit us at w2com.com slash podcast and follow us on Twitter at Media Mind Show. And you can subscribe anywhere podcasts are found.